Our Father and our God, we thank you for um, your word that you have uh, given to us by your spirit initially through your prophets and apostles and preserved over these many years and now we have today. And so we ask again that you would strengthen us in our, uh, the skill of interpretation and that we might know you and, and what you have said even better. Um, and so we pray these things then in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, we, of course, have been looking at uh, some of the skill of interpretation here over the last um, uh, couple months or so. And we've been talking most recently about different figures of speech. And the figures of comparison, uh, these are the four main ones. And so, uh, similarly, you compare something um, somewhat generally. Metaphor, you compare it much more directly. Uh, And then personification, you're using human things applied to something that is not human. And anthropomorphism and anthropopathism We're applying those human things to God to help us to understand him. And then we spent a little bit of time last time talking about something that's often connected with anthropomorphism, but certainly can't be separated in its own right, and and often is. And that is uh, the the use of language, and and the language that we use about God in particular. Um, If you say that the Lord is my shepherd... Do we understand that in the way that God understands that? And some people say uh, it's exactly the same. Others say there is no connection whatsoever. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, that's totally different than what God thinks. And others say actually it's somewhere in the middle, and we call that the analogical. Um, And we talk about the fact that God is incomprehensible, uh, and we cannot comprehend him. Uh, and so we use the terms, um, the term apprehend. We, we have some understanding of God. And for some things, I think the connection is, is pretty close. Um, when we say God is shepherd or God is love or God is wise or something, we understand those things. When we say God is eternal, we don't understand it quite as much because we have a beginning and so forth. So um, this is a, a whole uh, separate topic, uh, you know, books have been written about these things too, and and so on, but just wanted to touch on it uh, briefly. <clears throat> All right, so, um, maybe I'll this here then. The next um, category of figures Figures of substitution. Figures of substitution. And um, there are two in particular that we uh, would emphasize here. And uh, the idea is very straightforward. You're substituting one thing for another in some way. So it's comparison. You're comparing something, uh, two things in some way. Here now you're substituting one uh, for another. So I always need to double-check this spelling here. Um, All right. Anybody know what that word is? (laughs) Go ahead, Heather. Okay. 
Synecdoche is how we pronounce it, uh, though it may not look that way. Uh, this, this actually comes from the Greek, so if you have any Greek background, it makes sense to say synecdoche. Uh, but anyway, it is a part that is substituted for the whole. So if I were to say um, that Moscow made a decision or Beijing was entering into an agreement with somebody, uh, Biden maybe, um, if, if London was to uh, uh, send their athletes to the uh, Olympics or if Washington passed a bill, right, that's synecdoche. Apart for the whole. Beijing, the city, is not doing that. We're talking about the leaders in particular, or London sending people to the Olympics. You know, that that's not the city again that's doing it. That's not in one sense even the leaders of the city doing that. It is um, you know the athletic uh, community or something like that. It's apart for the whole. Uh, we can do that here in Pennsylvania. You can say you could say it like this, that there was a ruling out of Harrisburg that said that we should only have so many people meet together, we should wear masks again. Or you can use synecdoche and say that Harrisburg said that we should wear masks again. It's a part for the whole. Okay? And we do that, um, sometimes more than others, or some people more than others. If I were to say um, <coughs> the Nashville music scene... What am I talking about? Are we just talking about what's happening in Nashville? Hey, country music. Now, I could be talking about the country music in and around Nashville specifically, but you can say Nashville and refer to all of country music. Or if I said Hollywood, hey, well, that includes the entertainment uh, business as a whole. Um, it can depends on what you're talking about. But if I said Hollywood, you know, you could be including all the entertainment business throughout the world even, or at least throughout the United States. So the point here is a part for the whole. And as we apply this then to the scriptures, we see the same thing. A part of something applies to something bigger. And of course, the question is, what is intended? What is that relationship? So let's look at a few examples here then. <clears throat> and let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 here first of all. <clears throat> all right, Deuteronomy chapter 10. And... <clears throat> um, Somebody read for us verse 9. Go ahead, Eric. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. All right, so what is the part that is being substituted for the whole here? I'm sorry? Okay, all right. We're not just talking about Levi, the man, the third son uh, through Jacob and Leah, uh, but we're talking about the whole of the tribe. So the high priests, the Kohathites, the Merarites, the Gershonites, right? The whole of Levi. So not just Levi, the man. 
So there's one example. Let's turn to 1 Samuel and chapter 12. It's kind of funny. In the evening, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 10, and in the morning, we'll look at 1 Samuel 12 here in the sermons. So uh, God's providence here, we come to 1 Samuel 12 here. We're going to read verses 3 to 5 later. Uh, But let's look here at verse 9. And uh, somebody read that one for us. All right, Emma. All right, so what part is being substituted for the whole here? Yeah, Jake. hand, obviously it's not just the hand uh, of uh, Sisera and the Philistines and the king of Moab, but referring to those nations, those armies, those uh, peoples. Okay, so the, the, that's our synecdoche here. Let's turn then to Psalm 22, uh, sorry, 122, Psalm 122. Somebody read for us verses 1 and 2 then. Yeah, Ben. Alright, so what's the synecdoche here? I think I heard somebody whisper over here. Michelle? Alright, and what's meant here then? Okay. Yeah, you don't just have feet there. <laughs> okay. yeah, it's not some horror movie or something with feet walking around. Um, but right, it's referring to the whole person, right? Our feet have been standing. Well, also our, you know, our calves and our legs, our whole bodies. You're standing within your gates of Jerusalem. And they're glad, obviously, to go to God's house here, referring, of course, to the temple and uh, the Song of Ascents. Okay, so feet here is the synecdoche, substituted for the whole. Let's turn to Isaiah then, chapter 7. And now that we're talking about this, you know, for some of you, synecdoche may be something new and you haven't heard of it before um, or thought about it. <clears throat> and maybe now you're thinking of some examples. Um, obviously, I'm only giving you a few selected ones. But in Isaiah 7... Um, Someone read for us then verse 17. All right, Heather. Okay, all right. So what then is the synecdoche here in this verse? Okay, all right, you could say that. And what else? Okay. Okay, all right. And? Heather. Yeah, 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 Eric. Right, right, and then Judah 
um, from the southern kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here we have one verse, and we could really point to four different things, right? And so it's a part for the whole. You have the part, the king representing all of Assyria, right? Father's house referring to uh, you know all the the descendants and ancestors and everything else. Ephraim referring to the northern kingdom, Judah referring to the southern kingdom. Okay. Yeah, Nathaniel. Well, my intention here is just to show you how to do it. Um, but yes, um, it sometimes does make a difference as to whether we're talking about the part as the whole or a part for the whole. And so your context will will drive you in that way. Yeah. These have been pretty straightforward, but some are not so much. All right, let's turn then to Jeremiah chapter 11. And um, we've got one more here in uh, the Old Testament. And again, very similar to what we've seen, Jeremiah 11. And uh, somebody read for us then verse 10. All right, Philip. Again, like the last one, you have the house of uh, Israel, the house of Judah. This is maybe a little bit more straightforward uh, compared to Ephraim, like we just read, referring to the northern kingdom. But again, this is the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, what's being emphasized uh, here with this this language. Uh, part for the whole. So let's look at a couple in the New Testament then. And let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. chapter 6. <coughs> Let's uh, have someone read verse 11 for us. Alright, Sam. Alright, so what's the part for the whole here? There. <coughs> That's right. It's not just that we're praying for bread. Uh, we're praying for food in general. Um, I didn't have bread for breakfast. Some of you maybe did. Um, had some bread last night for dinner, <laughs> but I had other things too. Um, so uh, we're, we're talking about all kinds of food, but then, even as Eric said, our sustenance uh, is um, uh, certainly the, the main idea, but, but we also include here uh, just ba- our basic daily needs. So clothing shelter, uh, even relationship and, and fellowship and so forth, but, but primarily what is intended here is food, shelter, and clothing, all of the physical needs that we have as humans. And so as we pray this, right, the first three petitions, we're focusing on God and his kingdom, 
The next three petitions focus on ourselves. Um, and so the, our physical needs, verse 11, our sins, verse 12, and then um, our um, obedience, you might say, in verse 13. Uh, but it's, it's covering everything in our lives. And so verse 11 is emphasizing our physical needs. So not just bread, not just food even, but food, shelter, and clothing broadly. Uh, so synecdoche, a part for the whole. All right, let's turn to James chapter 3. This familiar passage, of course, about the tongue, um, we could look at um, a variety of, of verses here. Uh, let me just read uh, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature as it is set on fire by hell, and so forth. Okay. <clears throat> Pretty straightforward here, right? The tongue is the part, the synecdoche, referring to the whole of the person. The whole process, not just of speaking, but even of thinking. Right? The process of our motivation. Everything that goes on within us that then comes out our mouth, with our, obviously our tongue making that happen with breath and our teeth and and so on and so forth and so again part for the whole now on many of these things we read it we see it we're like oh yeah okay i understand that we might not think about this technical term of synecdoche uh, but this is what's going on and as nathaniel said sometimes if we if we don't see the synecdoche we might miss the point or go in a different direction and is intended. And so I was focusing on ones that are more straightforward here, but uh, not all of them are. So questions here at this point or comments? All right. So then let's look at another figure of substitution. It's a substitution of an attribute is usually how it's defined. You're substituting an attribute for the whole thing. So if I said um, um, Ben, and I'm thinking Ben Roethlisberger here, okay, if Ben threw the pigskin, that's metonymy. Pigskin refers to what? Football. Well, there's an attribute of the football. Obviously, it's made of pigskin, right? or at least it used to be. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a part for the whole in a sense, but it's more of a substitution of a particular aspect of whatever that is, in this case the football. Okay, and we call this metonymy. 
So if I said the eye of the storm, okay, if we talk about the eye of the hurricane, you know, the, the eye wall is passing or something like that, right? We're, we're talking about the center of it, okay, the really severe weather on the, uh, just outside and then the peaceful weather in the middle. It's a, a substitution of the whole thing. What I just said is, is everything we have in mind when we talk about the eye. Um, and depending on what you're talking about, you're talking about the really bad storm surge or you're talking about the calm in the middle. It's a substitute for, um, for the whole. Um, okay. Now, I know you college students, you were looking for some wheels this morning. Okay. Who had the wheels? Did you guys just balance on top of wheels on the way out here? Okay. Obviously, uh, no. <laughs> okay. You rode in, in, in a vehicle. And so anyone got wheels, we might say. Um, we're referring to uh, a vehicle, a car, or a truck, or you know, whatever it is. And so, again, we use these things. We tend not to think about uh, what's going on. But that's metonymy, a substitution of an attribute. So uh, let's look at some examples here. Let's come back to the Psalms. And, of course, you would expect to see these frequently in uh, Hebrew poetry. In Psalm 5 here, first of all. Psalm 5. All right. Somebody read for us verse 9. Go ahead, Jacob. All right. Now, what New Testament passage quotes this? litany of, of uh, places that, that Paul quotes to say how right, we're pretty sinful. <laughs> hey, no one is righteous. Well, here's one of the verses that he quotes. All right, now notice we got a few things here, don't we? For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Okay, this is a substitution. Okay, their inward part is destruction, the inward person. Um, really refers to the whole person, apart for the whole here. Their throat is an open tomb. It's not just their throat, obviously. They flatter with their tongue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> of course, Paul would say <laughs> that's the pot calling the kettle black, right? And we all tend to do this, right? But some maybe more so than others. Uh, but do you see what's going on here? These are figures of substitution, and I think we could point to synecdoche and metonymy here. Uh, but we are not just flattering with the tongue. Right? We're flattering with words. Um, and so a part for the whole, or even here a substitution uh, for uh, the words that do come out of our mouth and so forth. So to Nathaniel's question, we may debate on what's synecdoche or metonymy, um, but still the, the point is, is clear. 
Uh, and Paul then applies this to all of us, uh, not just to the unbeliever. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 23 then. Familiar, obviously, one here for us. Psalm 23. Now we looked at this with verse 1 with metaphor. Okay. And in many ways, the whole thing is metaphor, referring to us as sheep. But note especially in uh, verse 5, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, what is being substituted here? What's the table referring to? Okay. Okay, a table for a feast. So it's not just that God is setting up a table out in the middle of of the pasture or something or you know, whatever it is, but it's a table with um, uh, filled with with food and so forth. He's anointed, right? My head head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy. So the whole context is making clear that this is a table of of great blessing, even in the midst of the enemies. So here, table is substituted, you might say, for feast, the feast that God is providing for his people, his flock. All right, let's then turn to Psalm 62. All right, let's have someone read verse 9 here for us. Go ahead, Joe. Notice in the first two lines, um, what figure of speech is used here? Men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie. What, what figure of speech here? Well, okay, okay, all right. Um, um, basically, this is a metaphor, right? A metaphor for a vapor, a mist. Or something like that. But to our point then, okay, what is the metonymy here in this verse? Well, okay, okay. Um, that I think would fit maybe a little better with synecdoche apart for the whole. But uh, fair enough. scale then okay and um, what are we weighing here are we weighing you know coins with grain or something like that what is being weighed okay all right and uh, is this in the marketplace 
There you go. There you go. Hey, notice here how scales are being used in the courtroom. It's not being used in the marketplace. We're not weighing out grain to eat or you know something to that effect. We are weighing out um, righteousness or lack thereof. <laughs> and so here the balance, think of lady justice or something like that. Okay? And so here scales is a substitution, an attribute for justice, judgment, righteousness. Um, and God's ultimately here. Okay, so here, this is metonymy. Now, there, there's several metaphors here in this verse. And everything that people said, I uh, certainly touch on that. But this, in particular, I think, would be considered the metonymy. All right, <clears throat> let's turn to Psalm 80. And again, as we start thinking about this more, maybe some ideas are coming to your mind. All right, Psalm 80, and somebody read verse 1 for us. Go ahead, Heather. What is the metonymy here? Um, well, that's clearly referring to the tabernacle and the temple where God is uh, above the Ark of the Covenant, sitting on the wings of the, the cherubs there. Um, and so... It is metaphorical, or I guess a figure, generally, um, and yet, of course, God is not seen. Um, but there's something else here that's more specific to metonymy. Eric? Okay, yeah. I, I think ear would be the, the <clears throat> primary one here in this verse. Obviously, it's not just an ear. And so you could say it's a part for the whole, a synecdoche, but I think it is a bit more um, substitution of an attribute. We're calling on God here to, to, to listen. Um, the substitution of the idea of hearing. Listen, shepherd of Israel. Um, and then it continues uh, here in the psalm. Obviously, we have some personification going on here, right? or I shouldn't say that, anthropomorphism, referring to God, right? We're using something human, applying it to God. And so this is what makes it somewhat challenging as you pile up some of these different figures in one place. Um, and ear here in particular, then, um, is at least what I had in mind as the primary one for us to see. Uh, let's turn to Psalm 98. <coughs> and... Similar idea here, Psalm 98, verse 1. Um, I was singing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Okay. Certainly we can see synecdoche here, right? Part for the whole. Um, it's referring uh, to the whole of who he is. We see person or sorry, again, anthropomorphism. Um, using something human to apply to God. 
The metonymy here in this case is the idea of God's power and strength. We're substituting arm and uh, hand, right hand, and holy arm for his power, his omnipotence, his, his sovereignty uh, here in this, this victory that he's talking about. see how that's uh, working there. Um, Let's turn a few more here. Jeremiah 39. All right, Jeremiah 39 and uh, verse 17. Synecdoche, but that's not the one I'm looking for. Hold on a minute. Um, uh, there it is. Um, verse 16. Verse 16. Um, all right. <laughs> Go and speak to Abed Melech and the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good. They shall be performed in that day before you. What is our metonymy here then? Okay. All right. Yep. Words substituted for judgment. Hey, this is very important. Uh, we'll actually see a reference to God's word here in the sermon in Acts in just a few moments. But uh, word has power. God's words especially. And uh, here, word is substituted for judgment, this attribute of God's justice and so on. Um, let's turn then to Ezekiel 7. All right, somebody read verse 4 here for us. here. What's the metonymy then? What, Michelle? Okay. Alright. I will have no pity uh, or will not spare you. This is substitution for what then? Is I is substituting for? Um, well, okay, I think that's uh, why we're using I here, yes. And what else? Okay. Okay. Ben? Okay, yeah. Did I, was Emma, did I see your hand? Okay. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> all these things are part of our understanding, all the different things you're saying here. But, uh, again, this would be I in the sense of God seeing everything and thus his judgment, his will then, of course, is to punish them, um, punishing Israel for their sin. 
All right, let's do one more. Uh, let's come to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, somebody read for us then verse 7. Alright, so what is the metonymy? a substitute, this attribute of blood in this case refers to the whole thing. Right? We're, we're not being redeemed through you know, blood being actually put upon us. Right? We have redemption through blood because this perfect sacrifice was sacrificed. And so the perfection, the without blame uh, substitute in Jesus His blood is shed, taking the punishment that we deserve. God's wrath is turned aside, so therefore our sins are forgiven. And all this is because of his grace, the riches of his grace. It's abounded toward us, and uh, and so on and so forth, right? Um, But, uh, you know, this is one that we're very used to. We talk about Christ's blood. but This this is actually a part for the whole, uh, the whole of everything, or a substitution, this attribute of blood, Applied to everything about uh, the work of Christ, his substitutionary uh, atoning work for us. All right, well, <clears throat> just wanted to give you a taste of this. And I, I, I've said this when we started this section on the figures of speech. It's such an important part of Scripture. We see them everywhere. And, it, and we've just looked at, what, you know, 12 or 15 examples or something here this morning. And there's obviously a whole lot more. And some of them are very straightforward. And some of them can be very challenging to make sure that we get to the right point. And then, of course, you have the apocalyptic literature that uses uh, figures of speech everywhere. And that can be very challenging. But the better we can do some of these that are easier, the better we'll be able to do the harder ones. And... uh, Daniel or Ezekiel or Book of Revelation in particular on some of those things. All right. Well, uh, any final comments or questions here? Yes, Susan. I think so. Um, 
I've heard that argument as well, but the, the term table is used. I think, if I remember correctly, every time we see that word table used, it's referring to a regular table. Right, yeah. Um, I'd have to double check that, but that's what's in my memory, that every time it refers to that. So that would suggest the same here in Psalm 23. Uh, what you're saying is not un- untrue, but I'm not sure that's the emphasis. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when our enemies are around, we, we tend to eat in private <laughs> protection. But here we're going to do it right out in, you know, in front of them. And because God is protecting us as our shepherd. I think that's the, the primary point. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's pray as we conclude. Lord, we thank you for your word and for its um, its breadth of um, of language and and uh, and how you communicate to us in so many different ways. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, that we don't just have a list of propositions here. We have these images and figures and, and uh, it appeals to maybe the more creative side of us. It appeals especially to those of us who think this way. Some of us do more than others. And, um, and through all these different ways of communication, we, we learn who you are. And um, this, this story, this narrative, this conversation, as it were, is impresses itself upon us that we might know you more fully so to that end then lord we we continue to ask that you would strengthen us by your spirit that we might rightly understand what you have revealed to us and that we might know you better might know your word better and ourselves and the world in which we live and and how we should live for you lord we ask now for strength as we uh, come to worship that you would, by your spirit, um, be honored and glorified as we, as we worship together. So we pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.